Well, good morning. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here, college and young adult pastor, and it's a joy to be with you today. I was thinking about fear the other day, and fear can make us do some irrational things, some crazy things. We went to the zoo a couple weeks ago, and a friend of mine is so deathly afraid of snakes. Okay, when you're at the zoo, the glass is like 14 inches thick and bulletproof, okay? The the snake is not going to jump out of the glass, but what she would do is she would sneak by the snake saying, I'm not going to even look at them because she had such great fear, and we call those phobias. Real quickly, just a little audience participation. Can you tell somebody next to you what your phobia is? Is it falling? Is it uh, snakes? Is it spiders? And if you're online, please type in your phobia. It may not make sense if you don't watch the message, but it's all good. So yeah, fears, phobias. Um, I would love to hear some of those later. Do not bring a snake to church next week or a spider, but the word that we use to describe the fear of spiders is arachnophobia, okay? If you have arachnophobia, you're like, do not uh, bring spiders near me. I'm not going to have a spider and let it play in my hand. Um, Did you know that at any given moment, you're never more than three feet away from a spider? Now you know, okay, just to help you out. Um, Acrophobia is the fear of falling, the fear of heights. And some of you are like, dude, I am not going to be on a roller coaster, no bungee jumping, no uh, jumping out of airplanes for me. And then there's uh, claustrophobia, no tight spaces. You're not a cave crawler. And then there's this often phobia that's not talked about. It's called Thanksgiving phobia. Maybe you know this. It's the fear of mother-in-law. So you know that once a year, you're going to have to go to your mother-in-law's house and endure a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, No, I love my mother-in-law. But uh, phobias have this kind of irrational sense to it. You're like, oh, I can't stand to be around these things that bring fear to you. It's okay to have a wise, careful understanding of the things that could possibly hurt us, right? Like, I'm not going to do cartwheels off of a tall building, okay? I'm not going to do cartwheels on the roof of something. I'm not going to go crawling through a cave, Um, I'm not going to hang out with snakes. I'm just not going to do those things. And if my mother-in-law offers me food at Thanksgiving, I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to reject it, okay? I'm going to be smart, right? But one of the fears that is spreading right now, I believe, we, we have two fears that are really spreading right now. That's the fear of the future. What is going to happen to us? And the fear of politicians, of those that are in authority and people With the advent of social media, people, everyone can share their opinions now. Everyone can share articles and say, this is what you need to be aware of. This is happening right under your noses. And everyone's sharing and communicating and saying, you are all uh, lost. You need to know about this. And so we see on news, we see um, the evil Democratic Party's doing this. The racist Republican Party's doing this. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone's sharing what you need to be fearful of. And what I find is that many people are, are spreading these fears and instead of taking in consideration of God's control, that He is in absolute control over all things. What we're going to talk about is how to not fear people. We're going to talk about how to not, uh, how to radiate the hope that's in you And we're going to talk about how to often remember the example of Jesus in the face of suffering. So we're going to read here in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're in 13 through 18. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18. 
Peter's walking us through what it's like to be in the pressure cooker. And we're going to pick up here in 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So again, here's what we're going to talk about. In the face of suffering, don't fear people. Next, in the face of suffering, share your radiating hope. And then finally, in the face of suffering, often remember the example of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as we walk through this scripture together, as Peter takes us through these scriptures, Father, may we not fear what's going on around us. May we not fear people. God, give us the strength and the understanding to be able to radiate with hope in the midst of intense pressure. God, I pray that I communicate clearly what it is that you would have for us this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's providential as we travel through these verses that Peter's actually quoting from Isaiah. And let's read together Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Here's what he's saying. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Here's what I want you to envision here. God has his mighty, strong arm around us, and he's saying... There's a lot going on right now. A lot of people are telling you to fear this, fear that. Everything's awry. And he's like, you know what? There is nothing that I'm not aware of. There are no conspiracies. No people are conspiring without my knowledge. I know all things. I'm over all things. Let me be in charge. If you are to fear anything, fear God. If you are to dread anything, dread what it would be like to not have God in your life. And what we're going to talk about here in a minute is what we mean by fearing God and exactly how to define that. Now we pick up in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. In the face of suffering, don't fear people. Peter's saying this, if you are zealously pursuing the good of mankind, every step you take is a step to bring goodness to those that are around you. Your sphere of influence, you're influencing it for the good of the kingdom of God. You are bringing God's kingdom reign and goodness from heaven down to earth. If you're doing that, people aren't going to harm you for the most part. But if they do harm you, you are blessed. And here's the thing. If you are pursuing the goodness of the world, you're bringing the goodness of God everywhere you meet as a Christian person. You are speaking joy into the lives of people. You are forgiving. You are bringing the goodness of God as a renovator of the world. People aren't going to hurt you. 
But if they do, here's what he's saying. They must be a desperately hurt and broken individual. This person must really be broken and manipulated by the evil one. So if someone, let's say you're doing good, you are bringing the goodness of God to those around you, and someone begins to injure you, to hurt you, you may begin to think that that person's the enemy. You're saying, man, this person is inflicting harm and injuring me. This person is what is evil in this world. And we may begin to think that a person is the enemy. In Ephesians 6.12, it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here's a reminder. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. There is a true enemy out there that hates you. He wants to divide. He wants to conquer. He wants to destroy. And he wants you to believe that the people in front of you are the ones that are, if they were to be eliminated, then the world would be at a better place. No, people aren't the enemy. The evil one and his fallen angels, that is the enemy. And when we forget that the evil one is the enemy, we begin to place our frustration and our anger in people. Satan has a great power in this world, and he's playing us all like puppets. And he's, and he's, and he's causing people to draw lines in the sand. And I see it on social media all the time. Someone says, if you don't believe like I do, they share something. If you don't believe like I do, then you might as well just unfriend me. And they draw that line in the sand, and they cause division. And the whole time, the evil one is the one who's doing the manipulating. So you may say, man, I've been really nervous watching the news lately. There are people that are doing evil things. There are people that are causing destruction. There are people that are trying to hurt. How can I not fear people? Peter transitions to this thought. Don't fear people, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Here's an excellent quote from Oswald Chambers. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Instead of fearing conspiracies or that people might be drawing up some sort of a scheme to destroy you or destroy America, to destroy Christians, here's what you should think. Don't see yourself at the mercy of the government or the Democrats or to Donald Trump or whatever. See yourself in the hands of the Almighty God who's over all things. He is more powerful than any sort of schemes or conspiracies that are drawn up. Here's a little bit of wisdom. Some of us need to post less and pray more. You can tweet that. Some of us need to post less and pray more. We're sharing articles. We're sharing our opinions. We're drawing lines in the sand. Martin Luther wanted to describe the two different kinds of fear that are used in Scripture. And the first fear is servile fear, the word that he used to describe it. And that's the fear that you would have for like an unmerciful king. You know that if you make the wrong decision, you're dead. Okay? That is this fear of trembling for an unmerciful king. And then the second is filial fear, which is the fear associated with family the fear associated with a father that you respect and honor. And to kind of help you get this idea of this fear that we have for God as our father, one of my favorite movies is The Lion King. It's the best. If you've seen it, 
there's a scene where Mufasa says to Simba, Simba, you know, James Earl Jones, you, can, you, are, you have authority over all the pride except for that dark place over there. That is the elephant graveyard. Well, Simba is arrogant, and he's like, I'm king over all things, so he is going to go to the elephant graveyard. And him and Nala get themselves in trouble, and the hyenas trap them in this like last desperate attempt for Simba to let the hyenas know that he's not going to take it. He lets out this roar, but you're like, wait a minute, that's not a small cub's roar. It's this powerful roar, and it's Mufasa who jumps out from behind him and then begins to kick the butt of the hyenas. And as a uh, viewer, you feel the emotions that Simba is feeling during this. You see the authority of this powerful lion that just destroys the three hyenas. You see the, the, you see the authority, you see the power, you see the might, and you also feel this sense of disappointment that he says, you can go everywhere, but don't go there. And protection. He's like, even though you disobeyed me, I'm going to protect you. That's the fear that we should have for God. He's powerful. He has all authority. He knows all things. He's going to take care of us. He's going to protect us. That is the fear that we're talking about in Scripture. Don't fear people, but fear God. And when we fear God, we no longer fear what's going on around us. And I would like to give you two ways in which we cannot fear people. So you may be asking, how do I not fear when my boss is threatening my job? How do I not fear when my ex is trying to hurt me at every turn? How do I not fear when life seems hopeless? The disciples said, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? They were watching Jesus, and there was something powerful about the way he prayed. And Jesus said this. He says, okay, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we hallow the name of God, we draw close to him in proximity, and we ask for his perspective. When we start to fear people or circumstances, we lose all kinds of perspective. It's as if we're in a corn maze, and we can't find the end, and we're only six feet tall or five foot two, some of us. And we can only see right here. And the corn is 10 feet tall. And we're like, God, I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost. And he's like, well, let me show you a little bit of my perspective. So he, he brings us in. And he raises us up above the cornfield. And he's like, man, I've, I've got this plan. I got it all mapped out. Look, this is where we're going. So when we hallow the name of God, we gain his perspective and his proximity. We draw close to him. And he shows us, man, I'm in control. I got things taken care of. Here is how you can hallow the name of God in the midst of fear. When you pray God in heaven and you list his characteristics, you are powerful. You are mighty. You know all things. You can do all things. There is nothing outside of your grasp. I want to, and you just confess his goodness and power. God, draw me in to your goodness. Help me see your perspective. Help me to see people the way that you see people. Help me to have a heart for those that seem like the enemy that you have for these people. And God begins to shift our perspective to his perspective. And we begin to rest in the fact that he's in control. Pray and hallow the name of God and he will give you proximity and he will give you perspective. When you don't fear people, you seek God's perspective. Amidst suffering, your life 
will radiate with hope. Now let's pick up in verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In the face of suffering, share the hope that is radiating. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago. And the Chicago fires in about the 1870s not only consumed his business, but he lost his son in the midst of the fires. And so Horatio tried to make ends meet, and a couple years later, he's like, you know what, let's go to Europe and just take a break. And he, and he wasn't able to go with his wife and his four daughters. So he sends his wife and four daughters ahead of them. They hop on a boat, and he receives a telegram. And his wife said, saved alone. You see, Horatio lost all four of his daughters in a crash. Two boats ran into each other, and his wife was the only one who survived, and she said, saved alone. And Horatio wrote this beautiful song. He lost his son in the fires, and he lost his four daughters in a tragedy. He wrote this beautiful song, It is well with my soul. And one of the verses says this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Horatio shared the hope that was radiating from him. How could he possibly have hope after losing every single one of his children? He lost his business, no children, and he starts to coin these beautiful words of the gospel. I have hope despite tragedy. I have hope despite suffering. I believe God-fearing Christians are the most strong, powerful, hopeful people on the earth. I really do believe this. And one of the strongest materials on the earth is the diamond. You see, diamonds are formed deep into the earth's crust, about 100 miles. And I have this um, piece of coal. You see, something like a piece of coal can see it. Something like a piece of coal through intense pressure and heat miraculously transforms into a beautiful diamond that radiates, that is uh, significantly uh, durable, that sparkles, that's valuable. A piece of coal. When you radiate, when you shine, when you are enduring suffering, people begin to ask questions. How on earth are you able to have joy in these circumstances? Why are you at such peace going through this fire? No one lives like this. No one handles suffering with such grace. Why are you different? This is the hope that Peter's talking about. The hope that we have in us, that we share when people start to ask these questions. But here's the thing Peter says. Answer with gentleness and respect. The problem is, Christian people oftentimes are not known for gentleness and not known for respect. I was reading uh, from a a writer. He said that uh, during Bible college, he worked at a bar. And most of the people that worked at the bar with him were agnostics and atheists. And he was just trying to make ends meet. Well, they heard that he attended Bible college, and so they started asking him questions. And he said he found himself, most of the conversations he was having were apologizing for the things that Christian people have done. He found himself having to apologize to these, these people who were far from God about the things that Christian people have done. And I think 
that we as Christian people, many of us, we struggle with two things when it comes to gentleness and respect. The first, I think Christian people, we think we are better than those who are not of the faith. And here's why. We call this self-righteousness. You know, when you become, you, when you go from being a, a piece of coal to a diamond, you have value, you radiate, you shine, you are durable, and you might, to think, you might start to think, man, I am valuable because of me. God actually loves me because of the good things I've done. And we forget about the fact that, man, we were once desperately broken and desperately lost. And Jesus is the one who sought us out because of his goodness. And so one of the issues that we have is self-righteousness. We forget who we once were when Jesus met us. And the second is this. We are telling people to be good. So someone says, man, my life has been miserable lately. I am just struggling. What do I do? And we say something like, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. You know, (laughs) that's the advice we give them. We communicate that by not doing bad things or by doing good things, that'll give us radiating hope. But that isn't so far from the truth. By not doing bad things, by not doing sin, or by doing good things, that doesn't transform us miraculously. And so here's what happens. We have this piece of coal, and somebody comes to us, they're like, man, I have just been struggling. And you have this hope in you, but man, you forget and so you're like, you know, maybe you need to quit cussing. So we start polishing that piece of coal. You know, maybe you need to start reading your Bible. Quit listening to that music. Don't, always, don't sleep with your girlfriend. Give 10%. Give a tithe. And so we're telling people to polish. Polish that piece of coal. And we just list off things for them to do. Have you tried this? Maybe you should do this. Okay, I could polish this piece of coal all day, and I'm not doing a very good job right now. Okay? Will this ever turn into a diamond? No. So what we're telling people to do is, if you start being better and avoiding bad stuff, you're going to become this beautiful radiating diamond. No. We're forgetting who we once were. We're forgetting the good news, the hope that is radiating. Here is how we can communicate the hope that is radiating in us. And I want, you to, I want to be very clear about this. I communicate with a lot of people, a lot of college students, and I, I want to hear about their faith. And so I have conversations, and here's what I see a lot. There are a lot of people in this Christian culture who believe by being the son or the daughter of a Christian family that they're a Christian, that by attending church on a consistent basis, they're a Christian, by knowing the Bible, they're a Christian, by being baptized, they're a Christian. We can only become a Christian through the miraculous transformation of our souls by giving all of ourself over to Jesus, confessing of our sin, saying, man, God, I am wrong. I am broken. And we turn away from that sin. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit of the risen God, he transforms our heart and he changes us from a dirty piece of coal to a beautiful diamond and we radiate we sparkle we shine we're durable we cannot become christians by not doing bad things and we cannot become christians by doing good things we are actually desperately hopeless when it comes to doing any of those good or bad things jesus is the one who sought us out while we were yet sinners and he made us new 
I was having a conversation with a college student who I believe may not be a Christian. And we were talking, and I was, you know, uh, just hearing about his life. And we started talking about faith. And he said, you know, Aaron, I used to go to church, but man, I've been hurt, and my family's been hurt by Christian people over and over again. And I'm just, I'm just done with it. And, you know, I know God may be reaching out to me, but I just, I just can't connect with God right now. I was like, man, I understand. And I could have said, man, because in, in our conversation, he was cussing a lot. And he shared that him and his girlfriend are sleeping together. And I could have said, man, if you would just stop cussing, quit sleeping with your girlfriend, maybe God would show himself to you. No, that's not where I went. I said, okay, man, I'm sorry that Christian people have hurt you. You know, I've been hurt by Christian people as well. And I, can, we can, I continued talking to him. And he started talking about his friends. And he says, you know, Aaron, I feel like I'm the one who gives 110% to my friends. And they don't give much back. I feel like I'm the one who answers the phone calls. I feel like I'm the one who uh, is there for their needs. And I said, you know what's interesting? That you treat God the way your friends treat you. God is pursuing you with 110% love. But you say, man, I've been hurt by Christian people. And he's like, I love you. I'm pursuing you. And you're the one who is trying to ask that your friends would love you back. You see, when we listen, when we pay attention, when we share the love of God first before we give advice, the gospel will begin to permeate the hearts and minds of people. When we share the good news of Jesus, not good deeds, not good works. Last, we read here, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Third, in the face of suffering, remember often the example of Jesus. Here is how you can remember Jesus' example. The good news is good for our present, and the good news is good for our future. So in the present, if you're suffering, if you're enduring hardships, if you're struggling, remember, God has me here on earth to radiate hope to the world. I am here for a purpose. And if you're a Christian, you are to bring the goodness of God to the earth. You have a purpose. So if you're suffering, the gospel is good for your present. Remember that. And if you're suffering, the gospel is good for your future. Why? Because you have a future home. You will not be here on earth to suffer forever. There's going to come a time. Jesus is preparing a place for you, a home for you. And you will not suffer forever. And so as you're enduring suffering, as you are faced with suffering, remember, Jesus is preparing a home for you. He's got a place for you. Here's the exact sequence of events that Jesus went through. God sent Jesus to earth, and man threatened him. He did not fear man. Instead, he feared God over man. He shared of the hope that was radiating from him to the world. I have come to save you. Jesus is like, every person matters. Every person I come in contact with can receive this hope. I don't care how good or bad you think you are. I'm here to love you and to save you. He shared the hope that was radiating from him, and he remembered the gospel. He remembered why he came. I've come to earth to die a physical and spiritual death so my people don't have to. 
Wallace Willis was a slave in the 1860s, and he had a beautiful singing voice. And as a slave, he endured long, hard hours. He'd never, he did not choose the place that he lived. He did not choose the life that he endured, the suffering that he endured. But he knew the scripture. He knew the Bible. He knew what Jesus had done for him. You see, he knew that the gospel was good for his present, even amidst his intense suffering at people who tell him what he can and cannot do. And he also knew about the future that he hoped that he has in the gospel. And he wrote a couple of songs. One of them was Swing Low, Sweet, Swing Chariot. Maybe you know this song. It's a hymn that uh, some folks sing in church. He remembered the fact that Elijah was brought straight up into heaven. Elijah didn't die, he just right up into heaven. So he wrote the words, Swing Low, Swing Chariot. They're working in the fields. They're suffering. They're being beat. And he, they're singing this beautiful song, Swing Low, Swing Chariot. They're saying, coming forth to carry me home. We can't wait till we get to meet Jesus. They're suffering, and they're singing about the joys of meeting Jesus. And then he wrote this other beautiful song called Still Away. Still away, still away, still away to Jesus. Still away, still away home. I ain't got long to stay here. He knew Jesus is preparing a place for me. I have been made new. I am no longer a piece of coal. I am a valuable, wonderful, uh, hard, enduring diamond. And I will radiate to those that are around me. The, the people that are watching afar, the people that are working alongside him. Why does Wallace have such great hope? Because he has Jesus. He's been transformed. And he endured in the present. And he endured in the future. And he sang of this great hope. Can you imagine watching these people suffer and sing beautiful songs about this future hope that they have in heaven? Jesus is so good to us. He will provide a way for us to endure through. And while we're enduring the suffering, we're going to shine so bright that the people are going to ask questions. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the words of 1 Peter. God, I pray that we don't fear people. In the midst of suffering, may we not fear people. God, may we be ready to share this hope that is radiating from us. And God, may we often remember the example of Jesus. God, as we consider these words, as we identify what it is that we fear, as our perspective begins to be shaped, will you allow us to have humility, to fear you first and foremost. Not this, this, um, this unrighteous king kind of fear, this unmerciful king fear. Father, may we have the right, humble fear that you are over all things. God, may we rest in that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.